Welcome to the Salted Podcast, where we are translating and transforming our view of politics, pop culture, and personal preference. In this episode, we discuss the highly divisive topic of abortion. How do we as Christ followers approach this conversation with empathy and compassion while upholding the sacredness of human life? Let's get salty. Welcome to the Salted Podcast. My name is Yon. This is Dan. And to this episode, we've got a real treat for you. A real treat. Uh, we are talking about the very non-divisive, unifying topic of abortion. Not hypercharged? No, not at all. Um, luckily, I don't think Pastor Dan and I will get into a fist fight. And even if we did, <laughs> you would just... I wonder what that would sound like via podcast, but um, we're going to talk a little bit about what our view is, uh, on abortion is and how we as Christians navigate not only the, the topic and the, the principles, but also engaging people in the conversation around it. And then we are going to talk in our personal preferences section about a potential trip to the metaverse and if that is something that you would prefer to real life. And if you don't know what the metaverse is, we will tell you. We'll link you right over to the Mark, uh, the robot Mark Zuckerberg, and he will also tell you. <laughs> the robot. So he does look a little android these days. He looks exactly like you would think an android yeah. would look. Yeah, it looks like it's on purpose too, not like it's incidental. Yeah. Well, well, uh, there you go. Personal preferences going to be hot, hot, hot. <laughs> Androids, Mark Zuckerberg, metaverse. <laughs> but we're going to start out with the majority of our time talking about abortion. And how do we navigate this whole conversation? And some of this kind of percolating to the top of the cultural conversation in the recent weeks because of a couple pretty key uh, abortion laws emerging in some specific states, primarily uh, really one that's coming out of Texas. Mm. And that one is um, kind of has been passed and has been, I think, upheld by an appellate court and is now going to potentially the Supreme Court if they choose to hear it yeah you're talking about the heartbeat law yeah so um there's a couple other states that are introducing this i think i think louisiana maybe potentially actually still has passed the heartbeat law um and texas has a unique take on it in their law and that there's um it's not necessarily a governmental uh regulation it's it's citizens suing citizens and holding each other accountable in the in the process of giving or uh abetting in abortion so um, so it's a, it's a big conversation. It has been a big conversation since, you know, since officially 1973 when Roe v. Wade decision was, was brought down by the Supreme Court. Um, but again, it is an ongoing conversation in every single presidential cycle, every election cycle, um, every cycle, all the time. People yeah. are talking about abortion and pro-choice, pro-life, and which is the appropriate way to go. And specifically, there is some debate about it in the Christian community too. So Yeah, I mean, we'll... Um We'll kind of dive into all of that, um, but I mean, let's start with why really this is trouble, you know, not just um, political trouble, but just just the um, the volume of abortions. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's a it's significant. Yeah, and it is. I think it's probably good, it's good for you to say that it's good that we frame this. We don't view this as a political issue, right? right? We view this as a morality issue. Sure. And a biblically a biblical principle issue that is played out primarily in the political scene, right? And it's kind of a big deal because um, 
there are 2,363 abortions every day in the United mm. States, which is a lot. That number is astonishing. 2,363 each day. Yeah, not every a week single day. Or yeah. a month. Yep. And there is, um, again, there's a very divisive issue. If you if you remember that, you know, the Summer Olympics wasn't too long ago, but Simone Biles is someone that everyone in America loves. Um, and she made some waves with um, a post-Olympic tweet or Instagram story where she said, you know, she was hosting this say something that's controversial that mm. people don't know. And someone said, I'm, you know, abortion is uh, is murder or something. And so she responded by saying, I already know this is going to start the biggest argument and I may even lose followers, but I'm very much pro-choice. Hmm. Um, and so there was a conversation with her and she's famously um, a product of the foster care system um, and raised by people who obviously were not her natural biological parents. And then the conversation emerged or, or kind of moved into, well, just give your give your child up for adoption, you know, the natural progression of the conversation. And then she said some things that are like, well, it's not that easy coming from someone who is in the foster care system. Trust me, foster care system is broken. It's tough, especially on the kids and young adults who age out, right? Mm -hmm. So she, all in one kind of little social media exchange, highlighted both the divisiveness of the conversation and yeah. then some of the nuance in the actual, you know, when we're, when we're done throwing grenades at each other, it's a very, there's some, there are some thoughtful perspectives huh. potentially on each side. and Yeah, I didn't even notice that in her post that she had really highlighted all the cracks in the issue. Right. And so we're, we'll talk a little bit about why maybe her, you know, her perspective is a little bit distorted. But um, there's a couple things we're going to lay out. And the first one is, is if you've paid attention to conversations about abortion, you'll probably note that most times it's not too men who are talking about it and there's this seems to be this perception that men aren't really even allowed to talk about this because we don't want why are men legislating how women treat or or handle their own bottles you know what we should do let's research whether or not pregnant persons are allowed to talk about it yeah it's a that's an interesting day <laughs> my wife went to her post you know her six six week post birth and on the wall, it was like, "Hey, if you are a pregnant person," I was like, "I was like, I don't know if I can respect a doctor that posts stuff about pregnant persons yeah. when you're talking about a gynecological visit." But Science. yeah, but it's a, you know, that's neither, that is a conversation. But one of the things is, are you are we even allowed to talk about this? You know, and there are some people who say, "No, you're not allowed to talk about it because you're men and you shouldn't. You right. should just shut up and listen to the the people who yeah. affects." And you remember when we got into critical theory, um, right? We talked about how part of the reason we're disqualified is because our social location does yeah. not allow us to speak with any truth. That's right. Yep. Yeah. And so really when you, this approach is kind of, you know, it's a little bit ridiculous on its face because primarily it's instituted by people who are pro-choice and they say, unless you are pro-choice, shut up. Right. Um, but there's also a, when, when there's a, an absence of men in the converse, I read an article on the Atlantic about a guy who was one of three men at a, and a pro-choice abortion rights rally, and he was lamenting that where are the men? The men should be engaged in advocating for women's rights to choose. And so it seems as though it's not okay for men to talk about it unless they're on the pro-choice side of things where they, right. they can advocate for women to be able to have body bodily mm. autonomy. Right, And it's a little bit ridiculous on its face, just the idea that, I mean, our men are not allowed to talk about the issue yeah, because that, mean, that standard's not applied anywhere else. Right. If you are a... Um, 
if you're a police chief and you've um, never been shot, you know, are you allowed to speak on gun safety right. issues, right? Yep. If you are a doctor and you've never overdosed on heroin, are you allowed to weigh in on the heroin epidemic right. or uh, or the or the amphetamine? Um, yep. Uh, opioid type it's epidemic. A, it's, yeah, it's it's a ridiculous standard that is not applied anywhere else. Right, right. So, um, so let's just start there and say, you know what, we think, you know, I, this actually comes up a lot as a veteran. Everyone's like, oh, well, you know, your opinion, I, I can't really talk about it because I haven't been to war. I'm like, no, you can talk about it and you can have an opinion about war and how things work, but that doesn't mean your topic, your opinion is invalidated. And right. so we kind of think that that's accurate and true in this instance as well. So, um, and so we're going to, we are going to talk about it. You know, we could have ended the whole segment, the whole podcast right there and said, you know what? We're not allowed to talk about it. Have a good day, everybody. <laughs> but we're going to talk about it. Um, and I think we were going to start with, maybe it's helpful to kind of lay out a little bit about the history and the legal precedent, legal standing and the, the, what really, cause of the, the topic is kind of emerged with, you know, Supreme court, um, cases state legislatures passing laws and so i think a lot of us don't necessarily understand i certainly didn't before i started researching some of the specifics in terms of how we got to where we are yeah yeah Uh, and and it kind of has it has talking about the history of of the rulings and how abortion kind of was crafted in the last 40 years uh here in in the united states specifically helps inform us about other things about uh, how it's my body, my choice and how, where life begins and how that, why those conversations kind of mm. rise to the top. So I did a little bit of research. I, you know, everyone knows Roe v. Wade, right? 1973. Yeah. That's the case, yep. right? Everyone's and always Roe talking v. about Roe v. Wade, by the way, if you're really, really new to uh, this, you wouldn't necessarily understand even, maybe you wouldn't even catch that it's Roe, which is a last name, yeah. V, which is versus. Yes, yeah. And Wade, which is the last name. So when you hear Roe v. Wade, uh, if you're relatively new to this topic or this tension or this controversy, you might miss that Roe v. Wade is literally how you describe in part, in, in how you categorize which court case this is. Correct, yeah. Right? Yep. And Roe, in this case, was a pseudonym, was a pseudonym mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. for Jane Roe. And the court ruled in favor of Norma McCorvey, who wanted to abort her third child, who recently people have discovered is her name is Shelly Ann Thornton. So people the found... The third child? Yeah, they found the mm-hmm. Roe, quote-unquote, Roe baby. Wow. But, um, and she had the baby because the, the length of time it took to adjudicate the case, she actually came full term and you know you mean the court case took longer than nine months you know, shocking right wow who knew the bureaucracy Fantastic. yeah so um so it's a seven two ruling um and really primarily a couple things that emerge that kind of inform all of the other conversations we have um, the first one is that they ruled in favor of um, her right to have an abortion because they looked at the 14th Amendment, which is the due process clause in the United States Constitution. Okay. Right? And that simply means that she has a right to privacy and that she can have an abortion without interference. She has a right to privacy to that medical intervention or medical oh. procedure. Um, so they said it is constitutionally protected. A woman's right to choose whether or not to have an abortion is constitutionally protected under the 14th Amendment. So her privacy in whatever she chooses is protected. Yes. So that's why when I hear someone say this woman's constitutional right to an abortion yes 
it, it, it wouldn't surprise me if you thought to yourself, that's in the Constitution that right. that women or pregnant persons Those founders were very progressive, <laughs> very progressive. Yeah. <laughs> so somehow they anticipated that yeah. that they would need to be described in the Constitution and also protected. Uh, so that's that's interesting. Right. So that's interesting. So it's a privacy. That's the, right. the constitutional wording is a right to privacy right. and the due process clause. And so, and it's not, yeah, it's not an amendment to the constitution specific to abortion. Okay. It's just that. Right. Um, and so there's a couple of things that came out in this ruling that are pretty important. Um, so they provided the, the women with the constitutional right to choose, but it, they also ruled that this right is not absolute and it must be balanced against the government's interest in protecting women's health and protecting prenatal life. Oh, my goodness. So they basically said her life is important and the prenatal life is important. Exactly, yeah. So they have a balancing. They have to say, well, we have a constitutional right, but the the prenatal life also has constitutional rights. Wow. Um, And so how did they balance it? Um, And so this is, you know, for the Supreme Court has done this on occasion where they start instituting like litmus tests and stuff. And so they actually created a balancing test. And the how do they balance this? Well, they, they did it by trimesters. And so huh. they this is kind of maybe where the origins of where does life begin, that whole oh, conversation. Okay. And so they said the first trimester, you're, there's not allowed to be any restrictions on abortion. So second trimester, they said you could require re- reasonable health regulations, huh. which... Again, ambiguous. But uh, third, you could abortions could be prohibited with exceptions for life of the mother. So these trimesters, first, second, and third. Yep. Okay. Yep. So that's how you. That's their balancing test. So they're trying to. If you're in the first trimester, that's where it kind of leans towards the Those. rights of the woman to yep. to choose. In the third trimester, they're leaning towards the rights of oh, the prenatal yeah. life to protect it with exceptions for the life of the mother. Wow. So that sounds so intricate. Yeah, it, and Complex. you know, people who observe the Supreme Court are wondering, well, that's not your job to yeah, set these rules right. up, right? But um, that's neither here nor there. Um, so then we get to this idea that if you're, you know, if you're a constitutional scholar, like most of us, our listeners are, there is they call this right fundamental, which is subject to what they call strict scrutiny, hmm. which simply means the bar for changing it and overturning that Supreme Court decision is very, it's the highest possible bar required. So they, they, you know, essentially entrench the right, the fundamental right, a very high standard. And then um, those were kind of the big kind of takeaways from Roe v. Wade. And then in 1992, kind of there was a Planned Parenthood versus Casey uh, Supreme Court decision. And in that Supreme Court decision, they they affirmed the constitutionality of a woman's right to choose, but they removed that balancing test and they removed the strict scrutiny standard. Wow. So uh, some of those specific things that they put in there um, were removed. So now it's essentially the conversation is, I have a, a right to an, a fundamental constitutional right to an abortion, but they removed all that trimester business and strict scrutiny, which means it kind of opened it up for a little bit more debate, which is why there's large conversations about, will mm. will they overturn Roe v. Wade in the near future? Okay, so, and that was 1992. Yeah. Right. So we're on a little bit of a journey now. We're, you know, we're, we're t- what is that, 30 years? Holy cannoli. 30 years on. And, you know, that's uh, the questions now, the multiple cases going to Supreme Court. And I think 
one of the primary things that is still lingering is always the balancing act or the debate around what is the actual conversation. Is it the balancing or the one side who says, it's my constitutional right, have bodily autonomy, my body, my choice, right? Uh, the government has no authority to force me to give, no, no authority to force me to give birth to a child. Mm-hmm. Um, and then... Really, that's kind of an uh, that's kind of actually in the whole vaccination conversation that we had in our couple podcast episodes right. ago. That same conversation came up in terms of well, the government can't force me to have a child in the same way the government can't force me to inject a vaccine into my body, right? right. So it's funny. Yeah, the, the government can't oversee my individual choices regarding my body and my health. Correct. Yeah. Right. And so that's uh, ironically, there's some common common yeah, ground for the is. pro-choice community and the the. Uh, anti-vaccine mandate community and you can identify with the question who would accept elected officials legislating their policies on my body yeah I mean, who would accept that right yeah. i mean that makes it certainly um you can understand why somebody would spend a lot of energy to advance the the uh, my body my choice narrative yeah. especially if you partner that with the um belief that we're in a patriarchy we're a male dominated society sure. where men are are lording their authority over females and over women and this is one of the ways in which they want to do yeah it. and you lay on top of that the emerging religion that we've called critical theory right contemporary critical theory that the whole world is separated in oppressor and oppressed and it's more functional oppression by a white system yep. of um of the oppressor and it would fit right in as a glaring, right, uh, um, intersectional uh, crisis. Yep, exactly. Until so there's different, and again, they are levels of opposition to it. Yeah. I mean, and primarily it's, you know, it's my body, my choice. Mm-hmm. Don't, um, don't tell me what to do with it. Yeah, and also that right that my choice and my body is protected Correct. under the privacy. Yes, um, the yeah. due process clause of the 14th, it's a, it is the same argument that, a, a you know, a a pro second amendment person would say is that it my rights to a my access to firearms is protected is protected first amendment same thing right yes so so i mean that's so that's again that's a pretty you know if it's a way to empathize with one side of the argument you say well yeah it's you know we advocate for constitutional rights all the time and if that's one of them and the supreme court has said that multiple times then you can you can accept okay well yeah that's a that's a valid argument yeah and i understand why it would be charged up if you were to say okay we're changing that yeah, you're no longer uh, th- that that decision is no longer your decision about your body, and it's no longer protected yep. or private. Yep. In the same way, we, I mean, freedom of religion, we hold that pretty dear. Someone yeah. say, no, you actually can't, and you have to exactly do this or do that. Right. Understandable. Yep. So, so then that's right. So that's the conversation. So that's one side of the balancing act that the that the court was trying to. Um, play with the other side is really protecting prenatal life which is an interesting conversation about that opens up the the can of worms of when does life begin and that's really i think primarily when you get down to it the primary conversation is always when does life begin because it doesn't matter what side of the argument you're on you probably everyone would 99.9 percent of people agree with the idea that everyone has a constitutional right to life to not be murdered, yeah, right, and yeah. not be killed against your will, right. Um, and if that's the case, then if life, you know, if that clump of tissue growing in the womb is in fact a life, 
then it becomes less about my body, my choice, and more about is there another body, another human being that is being affected and will it be terminate a life uh, in the process of having an abortion. Right. So so when you talk about when the life begins as a debate, you're putting your you're putting your thumb on a critical main issue of the entire argument or the entire issue. Yep. When does life begin? Yep. And it's a and there's a couple different ways that people um, measure it. There's a couple different starting points if you mm-hmm. ask people. Um, I found lots of people, they, it's not something that is talked about a lot, right? The when does life begin is not generally a topic of conversation. It's, you know, because of the political charge nature, it usually resolves around my right, right to choose, right? And less about, well, let's talk about when life begins. Um, and there's a couple different ideas. The first one is, well, does life begin at conception, right? There's a, um, again, if you are a Roman Catholic, that's famously you don't participate in contraceptives, contraceptives or anything because you don't even want to interfere with the, uh, with the the process of the God-given mandate to fill the earth and the right, God-given right. process of saying you can have, you know, sex is for procreation is one of the reasons, right? Yeah. And so um, there's a, Joe Biden and the, the the Pope just met, and Joe Biden being a famously out Catholic, uh, over Catholic, and they the he recently just said he doesn't believe life begins at conception, and then they asked the Pope, well, hey, are you going to chastise him? And the Pope said, no, those are conversations for in private, right? So it's a famous Catholics are famous for life begins at conception, right? Yeah, and that's why the morning after pill would be objectionable, right? It would be unethical. Correct. And, yep. Yeah. The, the idea of a morning after pill being a contraceptive would be less of a contraceptive and more of a abortive life stopping right. um, intervention. Sure. Yeah. Uh, so there's conception, there's heartbeat, which is kind of the subject of a lot of the laws right now. Um, and, and is life, does life begin when a heartbeat is um, present and uh, observable? And usually, I think four weeks is the baby's heartbeat starts beating, which this is the which is the problematic part for the pro-choice community in these heartbeat laws because essentially what they are saying is you're outlawing abortion because women generally don't even know that they are pregnant somewhere between four and seven weeks. So by the time they actually go in and get checked and put a little ultrasound on there, then they've already determined oh there's already a heartbeat. So there's they're essentially arguing that a heartbeat law eliminates abortion you know de facto forever because heartbeats are you know they're going to find a heartbeat every single time Mm. so so does does life begin when a heartbeat is present um other ones self-sustaining fetus that's always a big conversation about you know late-term abortions mid-term abortions for what trimester um when is that baby or fetus um self-sustaining is that the measure right and i think it's what is it 22 is it 22 weeks where um a baby 24 Mm -hmm. is 24 weeks so if you if you you know miscarry uh at 24 weeks and you give birth is that what it is yeah there's a chance that the child is viable or will sustain itself yep and so the question then becomes well what is your definition of viable what's your definition of self-sustaining right um is a one-year-old self-sustaining without intervention uh, from another grown-up. Right? That would be a big no. Yeah. Are some husbands self-sustaining? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah, exactly. And so, you know, that's that's some debates uh, primarily around, you know, um, partial birth abortion, late-term abortion. It's, okay, well, um, 
if the baby's not out of the womb, then it's not, that's not when life has begun, right? There's the, the fourth kind of area is birth, right? Mm. When you actually give birth to a human, a, a clump of cells, that clump of cells turns into a human being when it exits the womb. Wow, yeah. And um, this is, again, if you do any research on partial birth abortions, it's kind of, you know, this is where it gets pretty barbaric is that they, you know, if that's what you believe and it really is birth, then, you know, a partial birth abortion process involves like taking half of the baby out and then killing it and then taking the rest out because it's not officially alive. Right. right? So it's the way to get around the letter of the law then, right? If it's defined as uh, that life begins at birth, you just kind of stop that. Um, you start the procedure just before birth yeah. literally it qualifies as, as life. That's right. And, and so this is kind of, I think, primarily the conversation that where it really gets down to, okay, well, is it a life? If so, uh, when does yeah, it, when yeah. does life begin? And yeah. then that informs all of the policy around, well, okay, well, what's, when do I, when can I have an abortion? When can I yes. terminate the pregnancy? Because am I killing a human being or am I not killing a yes, human being? Yes. And yeah. so I think that's the, is the crux of the issue. And it's the crux of the issue for believers and really non-believers, non-believers in Christ, um, at the same time. And it's kind of the thing that we have to, when you get down to it, have to have the conversation about. Yeah. Yeah. And perhaps, you know, at the beginning, um, I know we were quick to say, we're going to talk about a topic that doesn't have controversy. And we kind of made light of the idea that this is divisive and that there's uh, literally, I mean, people have sold their souls on one side or the other. They spent their whole life living for one side of the argument or the other side of the argument or yeah. or trying to oppose and destroy the other uh, uh, ethical political opponent. And, and, you know, perhaps we should have or could have started um, by introducing the topic with just a sense of heaviness that the, and the yeah. seriousness because by no means does the lighthearted sarcasm of our opening represent how we feel about this issue yeah it's a it's a big deal because as simone biles says you know there are real implications in terms of well what does what does the life i think some people make the argument that there's the light, you know, aborting a fetus is better than bringing a human being into the world, into the brokenness and the depravity and the poverty of certain situations um, where they grow up, you know, either fatherless or thrown into the foster care system or completely unwanted, you know. And is that, is the humane thing to do to just abort the, right. abor terminate the pregnancy and say, and also there are really, you know, we are deeply empathetic with people who say, well, there's a lot of things to consider and right. there's, it, it's not just a, yeah, flippantly, yeah. Hey, this is not divisive. Ha, yeah. Ha, ha. It right. is a, it is a, um, around the decision to terminate a pregnancy are layers and layers and layers yeah. of concerns yep. of, of decisions and actions that are, that are demanded and required. And, and it can't be reduced. It's yeah. irreducible, right? It's um, it is it is complex. Uh, I do think that, you know, of course, our claim to fame here on this on this salted podcast, Yon, is to help those who are joined to Jesus, but they believe and they belong to to God through their faith in Jesus. And and we kind of say, well, how do you translate these issues um, 
How do you understand them? But more importantly, how do you transform this uh, earth, this world, uh, the humanity by salting it with a biblical worldview, right? right? Yeah. So that's our that's what that's what this whole podcast is about. But um, I think even before we get to that part where we're talking about how does a believer see this topic, yeah. I think it's worth helping to provide a clearer view on abortion rights, even from a non-Christian worldview. Yeah. I think it's possible to do that. Mm-hmm. And um, and I know that if our audience is listening and they're pro-abortion, um, it's gonna there's gonna be probably nuances that we fail to bring up, sure. or yeah. there's gonna be thoughts, concerns, and arguments that we just don't uh, don't get to. I regret that uh, because that conversation will be valuable mm-hmm. uh, to certainly to, to sure. hear that. Maybe they can, maybe they can. Um, if they can find their way into our live chat or our Twitter feed or our social media, they can comment. Sure. Yeah, exactly. When we get that one We day. have to wade through the millions of comments. That's but, right. You know. you know, if we can see it through the millions of replies <laughs> and responses. Right. But um, so so even even from a non-Christian worldview, it, it, I think that one way someone would find a lot of help on this topic is to gather information for yourself. Yeah. Don't let other people tell you what information you should have mm-hmm. and what information you should not have. Yep. Right. Yeah, there's lots of there's lots of great information out there in terms of what, you know, what is there's a video that we watch where there's a Dr. Anthony Levitino and um, there's a, a organization called Live Action and they go and they actually they ask people on the street and they say, hey, are you pro-choice or, or pro-life? And they say, we're generally pro-choice. And then they, they watch a video of an actual doctor who was an abortion doctor who describes the process of, of aborting a child. And it's primarily a later term abortion. Um, and it involves like um, these little clamp, these little grasping clamp things that you reach in there and pull, grab the arm or the leg and pull it off. You're essentially dismembering the child because it, it, you know, the, the cervix is not, large enough to have the baby pass through and so you have to break it off piecemeal and then you gotta like crush mm-hmm. the baby's head and skull mm-hmm. and bring out the be- and then you reassemble it on the outside just to make sure you got it all and you know when you so this is a doctor describing this yeah, oh, that, because he because he was a he was oh. a doctor he was the one doing these procedures oh. Um, oh, and so goodness. the goal I mean the whole goal being okay well if we it's one thing to say that we're pro-choice or pro-life but if you don't really know what's going on in an abortion procedure but then and then it's difficult to have an informed opinion. And while on the same side, it's difficult to have, like you said, there's a bunch of nuance and conversation on the pro-choice side that a lot of us don't necessarily spend a lot of time yeah. investigating as well. Um, but educate yourself on what abortion is, what the procedures are, and what it is that these that uh, a pro-choice advocate is actually advocating for. Yeah, because um, these are not biased um, religious arguments or biased pro-abortion arguments, right? This, if you go and, and gather information for yourself, let's say watching a video of Doctor Levantino, uh, that's that's it, right? Levantino, you said that's it? it. Yeah, that that is just a neutral fact gathering mission, right? To understand what it is that is. Um, that 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 a literal abortion what what literally what abortion is right yeah yep 
And I mean, and then there's, there's also, we say this, I think every episode is that there's always somebody who profits from either, either side. Right. And so understanding a question, questioning the motivations of why people are pro-choice or pro-life. Right. And probably, you know, in the conversation around pro-choice, it's, you know, acknowledge that there are, there really are some financial interests of abortion causes. I mean, there's, you know, whether it be, I mean, since mRNA vaccines, some of them, I think a couple of them are products of stem cell research and um, which kind of, which emerge from aborted babies. Mm -hmm. And then there's, you know, Planned Parenthood. There's lots of people who's, you know, the pro-choice, pro-abortion. It's an industry on some level where you make large amounts of money and people's livelihoods and um, their sources of power and meaning are, that's where they are Mm -hmm. found. Um, while also, you know, questioning the positive motives for people that there are some people who legitimately are trying to help people and they think this is the best way to help them. Right. right? So right. it's it's looking through the lens of how do I assess their motives and not immediately um, imply a negative intention, but to see kind of wade through all the stuff and say, well, what are the negative intentions and, and what are the more positive ones? Yeah, I think, um, you know, it's worth asking the questions under this topic, you know, question the abortionists' motives even, you know, the, the, the abortion causes activists and advocates. What are the motives? What's driving them? Is it financial? Is it is it something else, right? And it brings it brings to mind, like, the question, what are the reasons that the abortion industry is so opposed to mandatory ultrasounds, right? Right. So one of the, one of the real criticisms and the real harsh uh, um, questions, I think, not harsh, but intense questions from the pro-life side is, why is there opposition? from the anti uh from the pro-abortion side why is there opposition for just making ultrasounds mandatory why wouldn't we make it mandatory that a a a, a woman who is facing a decision about abortion uh has to start with an ultrasound and listen to the heartbeat right right now, obviously it's going to get complicated with the heartbeat law but right. yeah but, but that's a, that's some of the that's some of the the re, the legislation that certain states put in as a way to ensure that um, women and girls who are going in for what is considered or what is marketed as reproductive health um, procedure. Yeah, exactly. So how do I, or, you know, how do I get, who, who do I trust to give me insight on, on what to do? Um, And primarily it is, there's a, there's a push to say, here's your ultrasound, put it and make it mandatory so that the person, the woman, who is pregnant or the girl knows and sees that that is in fact, uh, there's a beating heart in there and they feel the weight of, yeah. okay, well that's a human being right. as a way. And the pro choice group says that that causes undue stress, harm right, and okay. emotional distress to the women um, or the girls. Um, but the, um, the pro pro uh, life advocates for that for those laws would say that they are more concerned about the human being that's in the womb and ensuring that that person's humanity is recognized uh, over at the expense or over the emotional health of the the mother yeah that makes sense so so even as from a non-christian worldview point uh we mentioned that you should start with or you could start with gathering information for yourself right let the let the truth be known. Question the uh, 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 the motives of the abortionist. Question the motives of those who are pressing on the pro life side, and and also pay close attention to the statistics. Yeah, I, I mean these statistics could be, and I think should be, on the top of our head 
if we are serious about this issue in any way, shape, or form, from either from either side, either a, a, a pro-abortion or or uh, anti-abortion, I guess we could say pro-life, anti-abortion. Yeah, you have to know the statistics. Yep, and it's and we mentioned at the top is that there's twenty three hundred sixty three abortions every day, and some other statistics. These are kind of a little bit dated, but from two thousand sixteen, so f- only five, five years, years ago. ago. Yeah. yeah, I mean, um, there was. Um, you know, of the, I think it's 270,000, I think that's where, maybe close to 300,000 abortions in the year, um, they said 38% of the aborted f- uh, children in the country were in the black community. Wow. And so 38% of the abortions of the commu- the black community, which represents 12% of the total oh population. Oh, goodness. Um, so wildly disproportionate wow. amount of black children are being aborted than um, any other. Wow. 35% of those abortions are white um, children, um, and they, that's inverse to the 61% of the population. And then the Hispanic um, is kind of right in line, 19% of the abortions and 18% of the total population. So this is an interesting, wow. it's, it's an interesting note in that, especially in the climate of um, you know, racial justice and uh, Black Lives Matter, it, there is a largely disproportionate amount of black people who are whose lives are being ended um, through the process of abortion. Wow. Um, now, what about, uh, you know, the statistics that we, uh, I think, are presented with, at least this topic that, you know, we have to protect a woman's right to choose abortion because of rape and incest or the life of the mother's at risk and that's been a major component it seems right. of advancing um reproductive rights or abortion rights yeah and if you ever watch a debate right or anything any political debate it's always anytime the abortion comes up it's always okay well what about you know the exceptions of rape incest or life of the mother yeah and normally if you get in a quote-unquote debate around it it's that's kind of the pro-choice gotcha question, yeah. right? It's like, well, do you care about these people, right? right? Don't you care about these people? And a lot of times it actually could be said, it's like, okay, well, what percentage of the people are we actually talking about, right? And and in, I'll give you some example. Again, in 2017 in Florida, right, there were 6, 68,835 abortions. Um, 0.1% of those abortions were due to rape and incest. Right. Reported rape or incest. Reported rape. So 0.1%. Um, 0.9% was a physical uh, fetal an- anomaly that mm-hmm. was um, pretty se- severe enough gotcha. to, to warrant uh, terminating the child's life. Um, mother's life was in danger was 0.2%. Wow. Um, and... The, the decision to abort the child because of the, of the social or economic harm that it would cause was 16%. So they essentially believed that it would it was socially unacceptable or their social status or their economic status warranted not having a baby, so yeah. 16%. And then uh, uh, just an elective abortion was 80%, oh. 80% of all of them. So if you do the math, you're at, you're at 1.2% fall into the rape incest. Um, actually, it's actually like... Point three percent, like zero point three percent, is rape, incest, life uh, of the mother is right, in danger. Right. And if you add in, okay, well, there's a there's a fetal anomaly with yep. the child. You're at two point two percent. And then you've got social, 
economic challenges or it's unsuitable or unwise or whatever, along with elective, is 96%. That's right, 96%. Yeah. So the vast, vast, vast majority of abortions are not due to rape, incest, or life of the mother. Yeah, so when someone says, uh, hey, you know, all we're doing is protecting women uh, who have whose lives are in danger or who have been raped or there's been a conception through incest, why would you force them to have a child? You're talking about 0.3% of right. aborted. Yep. And the percentages are small, but again, we recognize and we value every single human being and recognize that every one of those percentage points represents a human being. Right. But yep. when you're, when, as we describe, you know, the, the case being made for um, abortion reg without regulation of any kind, um, it seems that making that one of the primary cases that's being made is based on 0.3% of the population or, or yeah. of the instances of abortion. Well, that reminds me of a lot of topics that we're making policies about that just seems like right. it's a minimal to, to no uh, real representation percentage wise. But anyway, so right. the other, the other, um, I think it's also important for us to gather statistics related to the number of abortions that um, might even feel like mm -hmm. if you know the numbers uh, that ab that abortion could be perceived statistic wise as just a form of birth control yeah i think that's probably probably falls into the elective category a lot but there was a specific thing in, in nebraska in 2017 they asked how many of them were having an abortion because they, it was a con contraceptive failure so they, okay. were, they were on contraceptive measures and they didn't work and so 10 and a half percent of the abortions were essentially saying wow. um the contraception didn't work. Therefore, this is a, yeah, this is a, a viable alternative. So, so conception was a mistake based on the failure of a contraceptive was one out of 10. That's right. Yeah. So you can that see that. High. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, what are we paying seems for birth? High. Yeah, exactly. No. Yeah. As someone with a five month old in the house, I'm like, I guess I can't trust our, any yeah. sort of birth control. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, so yeah, I mean, it, you can see is that again there's individual people who rep or represented in rape incest mother life of the mother but primarily that position is advocated for um and it's the vast as we've seen the vast majority of abortions are for something other than that and so again advocating for widespread unregulated abortion um with because you're focusing on the very narrow sliver of people that yes um, Right. that have abortions for that those reasons seems like a, a disingenuous approach yes yeah that's why again if you if you can um, gather up those stacks stats for yourself you can be informed when you're hearing those and it, and it reminds me too of the importance in another way of developing a worldview about this too even if it's you know not from a non-christian point of view or I should say a secular point of view not anti-christian but secular point of view um, it's vital to follow the arguments that you're hearing to the end. Don't follow them to the heart. Right. Right. The arguments that we will hear, the, the rape and incest one is one example, right? Yep. Who could force someone who has been raped to carry that child to term? Yep. Unwanted, unplanned violence was the source of that conception. Mm -hmm. And you say, well, it just hits me right, right in the heart, right? And then there's another one, too, that that I think um, that, that comes to the surface, too, which is uh, someone... 
um, describing an unwanted child being born into abuse and neglect. And the, and the question in this argument is, why would you ever want a child to be abused? Yep. Why would you ever want a child to be born into squalor and, and abuse and neglect? And the answer is you wouldn't. Right. right. So yep. if you follow that argument to the heart, you say, oh, I, I'm with you. Yep. And it's, a, it's interesting because, you know, we're big advocates for, you know, the impact of fathers in the home and all that stuff. And when you look at, okay, well, we know statistically that if you bring a child into the world and there's no dad and they have a certain social economic status and, you know, they're, they're, the, the, the chances of their lives turning out in a in a in not the best way yeah. are significantly higher, right? That's you're right. just exponentially higher. You're multiplying all these different effects, um, and so the question then becomes: Well, is it better to not bring them into the world at all and just spare them that life and just you know just kill them? Yeah, that's what I mean. When you follow the argument to the end instead of following it to the heart, <laughs> you're able to see, hear questions like that. And then rather than just stopping at, yeah, my heart's out to that neglected, abused child, I would not want that. So I so I agree, I am pro-abortion. Right. Right. But if you follow the argument to the end, what you're saying is in order to protect them from abuse and neglect, yep. we elect to kill them. Yep. And by the way, if that, you know, again, I'm kind of getting ahead of myself here, but if that, if that's a viable solution, is it too far-fetched to think that that solution would work after a child was born? Is it too far-fetched? Answer me, yo. No, I'm just kidding. No, yeah. I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. <laughs> is it too far-fetched that the, a six-month-old, a year-old, 18-month-old, two-month-old is, is neglected, abused, is not being um, fostered or adopted. Yeah. They continue to face hardship. And is it too far-fetched to say the same principle is going to be applied to that child as we would an unborn child, right? right. So again, I'm trying to make the case here that you follow the argument to the end. Yep, and who gets to... And who gets to determine that? Who gets to determine what life is or is not worth living? Right. Is right. it the right? Is is it the the mother and then only the mother when they're four or five years old? And it's like, well, the mom's like, you know what? Life was good when you were born, but now life is terrible. I don't want you to live in this world. Which is actually, we meant in our we did our climate change conversation. But that's something that lots of people discuss is yeah. that do you want to bring a child into a right. world that's going that's riddled with climate sure. change disaster? And um, is it better just to yeah. you know? Well, I, 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 yeah, I certainly do not find that uh, a reasonable standard, right? And this also extends also into, you know, other conversations where if, you know, Iceland famously a couple of years ago said that they had eliminated Down syndrome and they were oh, celebrating yeah, I remember that. that. I remember that. Yeah, they were celebrating it because they said, we don't have any more Down syndrome. And, all the, and, and essentially what they did is they, you know, they aborted all the kids with Down syndrome. Oh, and goodness. so they, quote unquote, you know, have a... I don't know, a pure genetic pool where they don't have any Down syndrome. Is that oh, how they perceive goodness. it? But they were celebrating it. And that kind of is a European kind of influence. It's kind of working its way through Europe right now is saying, you know, yeah, just, uh, you know, you, we do genetic testing. Um, you can tell if you have a Down syndrome, if your child is, your unborn child has Down syndrome. So a lot of people just say, you know what, we'll just purge. Yep. Life wow. is going to be too hard. And again, we empathize with the the how difficult it is to raise and love. And it's a lifetime of care for most Down syndrome kids, yeah. right? Um, but 
do, do you get to decide and say, you know what, that life, that child's life with Down syndrome is just not life, not worth living. Let's, we should probably yeah protect them by killing yeah. them. Yeah. And that is, I mean, that just reeks of eugenists to the eugen- right. <laughs> back in, you know, back in the thirties and the forties. And it was all very popular to say, let's breed out the undesirable elements, whether that means people who are, who have genetic issues, people who have chronic illness. If you're in Hitler's case, people who were not Aryan race, right? I mean, wow. like that was pretty rampant back in the time uh, of the you know, early 2000s or sorry, 1900s. And um, that's a Margaret Sanger thing, right? Yeah. I mean, if, and again, again, do your own research, but if you kind of get into the, to the founding, the founding person of Planned Parenthood was Margaret Sanger, who is a famous eugenist and famous racist who actually founded Planned Parenthood as a way to essentially eliminate the black race and kill as many black people as possible so yeah and and you know and that's not just some no uh, that's right wing no talking point no it's not it's not you can so that she was helping to plan the parenthood of black families as a means of reducing the population yes and so it's interesting because when wow. you look at what happened everybody everybody obviously and rightly so despises hitler for all of his racial things but um but Hitler's goal of he had, he was a eugenist in that he was creating the perfect Aryan race, right? And they would do that through genetics and through breeding, quote unquote, and allowing certain people to have kids and certain people not to have kids. But that was also very prevalent in the United States. And one of the outcomes was the founding of Planned Parenthood saying, how do we eliminate the undesirable people? And that is through the process of abortion. And, you know, they sterilized some, not Planned Parenthood, but people in that conversation sterilized certain people so that they couldn't have kids mm-hmm. because they had undesirable traits. But all of this kind of, again, goes back to the heart of it of who gets to decide what someone's quote unquote life is worth living and yeah. whether or not being able to live um, is something that is desirable or just saying, no, let's just, right. let's just pass. Yeah. And, and I realize now I'm just kind of thinking about my, my phrases here and I've dropped this phrase t- to kill them, better to kill them. And obviously, um, that is that is the kind of language. If you're listening and you're pro-abortion, that's the kind of language that makes you say, yeah, I'm, that, this is sure. not a real conversation, yeah. right? Because it, to imply that someone who is a pro-abortionist is, has a desire to kill, mm-hmm. right? It, it's the end of the conversation. So sure. that language I'm using... Um, is is 100 it's based on the conviction that at conception there's a life yeah yep and you know maybe it's less um, harsh to use the word end the life sure rather than kill right kill seems like there's an intent to 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 cut that life short by killing um, but either way um, whether you call it killing or whether you call it ending the life it's based on my uh, clear and uh, deep-held conviction that life begins at right. conception. So, to me, saying the phrase "kill the child" does not um, rattle me at all. Right, and because, you can you can see just even in the way we approach it is you can see why both sides of the argument are yes. so very hot. Yes. Because if one if a pro-life person generally believes this is a human being, then you would expect them to be rabidly yes. um, pro-legislation to save lives, right. right? And you'd say, okay, I understand that. On the other side, you could say, if this is a 
if this is a basic constitutionally held right that I'm allowed to do with my body what I want, then you can, again, understand why there's so much fury and a yeah. furor, furor, is that a word, um, over the continuation of of, yes. of having those reproductive rights exactly. and being pro-choice. That's well said. I think you're right. Um, so so that's the non-Christian worldview. And, and probably in, in just a, uh, a few minutes here, I could kind of summarize what we're thinking in terms of how should a Christian think about abortion. Hmm. Um, I, I know for a fact it doesn't help, I don't think, any conversation or advancing this perspective to throw the, the word murder around. Sure. I don't think maybe I maybe I it's the same as saying kill the child. I don't I don't know, but I'm not sure. I'm pretty sure. I'm more sure that the word murder, abortion is murder. Uh, the person saying that believes it's true, but it uh, is it advancing the argument? Is it advancing their cause? Is it expanding influence and persuasion? Right. No, mm, probably not. No, it's probably just trying to stick a needle. Yeah. In. I mean, it's person. like trying to talk to a Christian and convince them of something and calling them a uh, a bigot, yep. right? It's like, all right, well, I'm not sure how much further this conversation right. is going to go yep. if you start with that. But yep. uh, So how should a Christian think about abortion? So I think, I think it starts here. The very first step that I could think of is to make a decision. Mm-hmm. And the big decision is which issue is this? Mm-hmm. Is this an individual health and freedom issue? Mm-hmm. Or is this a life and death of a human being issue? Am I, when I think of abortion as a Christian, which issue do I see this? How do I categorize yep. this? And we've talked a lot about this on our episodes about just being sure you categorize things properly, right? right? Is this topic a individual health and individual freedom, constitutionally protected right to privacy issue, or is this an issue about the life and death of a human being? Right. And that would really help you understand, I think, how to flesh out an argument and, and how intensely and how urgently you're going to hold on to your convictions. Right. Um, so, um, you know, and if you come at it as an individual right, health, and freedom issue, then you would probably be able to advance abortion as a method of birth control. Yeah. Right. Because it's not a human being life and death question. It's a, this is my body, and if I want to control birth, uh, if I want to elect to have an abortion, then no one can tell me that I shouldn't or couldn't because uh, I, I, I have the right to privacy, make right. my own decision. So there's no reason why abortion couldn't be a method of birth control after I've either made a mistake or I've made a decision I regret or or whether I've got myself in a in a in a relationship where it was kind of consensual maybe what coerced consent consent uh, either way you still allow yourself uh, those kinds of um, elected abortions because you see it as an individual rights health and freedom issue and then on the other hand if you see it as a life and death of a child um, you know it's it's you're looking at it differently than a materialist who says, well, this is just a fetus that is made up of a clump of cells and tissue, right? Yeah. 
you are you're you reject that and you say it's more than that right and, and from the christian worldview you say every fetus has a unique body with a divinely designed soul and psalm 139 is just loaded with with clear p- images that god has knit together in that womb uh that child and he has breathed life into that child and is and is it's a unique divinely designed soul is given to that child and and um and then you're asking the question, does that fetus, which is a baby with a soul and a unique body, own the inherent right to live? Uh, is that a little woman with its own little women's rights sure, right. growing in that in that uterus? Yeah. I think that's the, and again, this is where the part where we start by saying, well, are men allowed to talk about this? But this is the weight of saying, well, if it is a human being, right? What the, the weight of of viewing it in the, this is a, this is a life, then, you, you know, that changes everything and it makes things, you know, it just ramps things up, especially for primarily for the women who are then, they bear most of the burden when that decision is made to view this in that way. Right. And I mean, we joked cause we're, we both had kittens and our wives had kids and we, I mean, what do we you do? Said kittens. Kittens? Our you wives said, had kittens. Like you said we both had kittens. Oh, well. But you meant kids? Kids. Yeah. My daughter's like a cat sometimes, but it's neither here nor there. But right, yeah. but we don't really, like, the dudes don't have to do much, right? We're just right. like, hey, we love you. Things are going great. I'll rub your feet yeah. and hold your hand while you scream and give birth, right? Yeah. It's like, but the burden and the weight of that decision to view things as that, that child as a human being, again, that's a, that's requires lots of empathy and sympathy and putting ourselves in the other person's shoes and saying, well, that is a very, very weighty decision to make. Totally. Yeah. And it leaves us with this question that uh, about the categories, which of these issues is most urgent, right? Mm. Is it the individual health and freedom issue? Is that more urgent? Or is protecting the the um, life of an unborn child? Is it more important to protect my individual rights, mm. or is it more important to protect the life of an unborn human being? And that's where I think there's some major clashes. Right, sure. one side says freedom is more important, right, privacy mm-hmm. and protecting my right, mm-hmm. and the other side says uh, it's actually more urgent to protect that life of an unborn mm-hmm. child. Yep. Right, so that's why there's this. Uh, but if you are developing a worldview, a Christian worldview, you have to decide which issue is it yep. and which issue is more urgent. Yep. And we regularly on this podcast, we regularly elevate the biblical principle above the political or even the American lens in which we view things, yep. where it be constitutional, legal standing, and, you know, and the specific cultural context which we, which we live. Yeah. But. Well, the other, the other, the next aspect of developing a Christian worldview, how we look at this topic is, is this phrase that life is sacred. And I think if one is to advance or to own this conviction that life is sacred, that is going to have to extend, it seems to me, um, to all lives, right? Mm-hmm. That there's no exceptions where life is not sacred. And when you own a conviction for pro-life, it doesn't change as a result of how that life was conceived. And that's mm-hmm. the hard part, right? So yeah. you've got this minuscule number of, of conceptions that occur under whatever violent circumstances or non-consensual or however you describe it. But to be consistent, if one is pro-life, one is pro-all the lives, mm-hmm. not necessarily... Um, 
based on how that life was conceived, which is incredibly complicated and difficult. Yeah. I mean, it sounds so cruel and, and, and heartless. And we know that rape, incest, and unwanted children, there's minuscule cases where um, this is this is actually the circumstances. But, you know, the, the adoption community would say, why not adoption? You know, sure. we're, we're dying to, to adopt children out here. There's a shortage. It's it's a long, long wait. There's all kinds of red tape and regulations. Most adoptive parents, they have to wait several months or years for an available child. Yep. So I know it's not that simple, but it does, it, it, it does make sense that as an alternative to terminating a pregnancy, ending the life of a child because they anticipate that that child will be neglected, abused, unwanted, or otherwise it was conceived with rape and incest, um, that that the adoption option uh, is is viable, um, and and I know that and I know the pushback is the pushback is well well you don't have to carry that yeah. that yeah. that conceived that that violently conceived child in your womb. I understand that. Mm-hmm. I get that, and I recognize that it's going to take a lot more than you know. Um, a lot more is needed than just this this um, seemingly heartless. Um, opinion which of course I, I think we'll we'll get to this here in a yep, couple minutes yep, exactly and there's a, there's a lot of stuff that goes along with well you don't and you'll talk about this in a second but there you don't just say yeah just give it up for adoption it's like okay well right well okay i think my point here is <laughs> it's exactly right my point here is to say that the adoption community is longing yep. to adopt yep. more children yep so that is a it's it certainly seems like a a, a viable option and 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 you know when you think about cases of unwanted children being born into abusive homes or broken systems why not ask a formerly unwanted child you know Simone Biles I think that's her story right yep. would you rather be born into a broken family in a foster care system or be or or have your life ended terminated killed we'll say yeah in the womb which would you prefer you know and, and is that something that Simone Biles thinks through in her mind like which would i have preferred i grew up in a terrible circumstance uh, uh, terribly unwanted painful foster care uh, circumstances and life situation Um, but if i were to be asked back then what what would i have chosen to 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 have my life ended in the womb right yeah i don't know it seems so hard to process yeah and i don't think i would want anyone making that choice for me as opposed to well you're telling me that my life's not worth worth living i'd like the opportunity to make that decision for myself yeah i'd like the opportunity to overcome and break through and maybe even be like simone biles one day right you know exactly so 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 those are some ways to think about it, Yon. But um, and but the next, we, we live in a whole world. We, we we live in the world of how do Christians live in and protest abortion? Because right. if, if you're listening, it's pretty obvious that we are on the pro-life side of things, yes. and that's kind of where we think life is sacred. Life begins at conception, and that's because I've selected in my categories correct. that the that the life is more important than the rights. The right, exactly. Yeah. And so if that's where you land, even if it's not, but even if it is where you land, um, how do Christians, you know, go about engaging this very hot button, very yeah. polarizing, divisive topic and protest what we think is the ending of life while also doing it a winsome, loving um you know, life changing yeah. way. Yeah, that's and that's why we're doing this podcast, right? It's salted. How do we salt the earth? How do we not blow people up that we disagree with? And you know, what is a winsome way to approach this topic? And um, 
you know, I can't help but think that the starting point here is advocating for the truth. Just advocate for the facts, the truth. I mean, just the topic of ultrasounds. Um, you know, you, you just wonder how many, what percentage of women would, would change their minds on their own if they were just allowed to discover the facts. Yeah. The facts or the truth about what it is that's inside of her uterus. That yeah. that, that ultrasound could uh, be a... Uh, a, a such a compelling means by which a woman discovers what's truly happening to her. And, and I recognize that it causes distress, but it causes distress because of discovering the truth. Right. Yeah. Um, you know, why are pro abortionists against ultrasounds? I think, um, you know, why does the pro abortion advocate resist this? Isn't this a way of discovering the truth? And, and so to protest abortion, we have to advocate for the truth. That's a practical way to say just let the woman discover all the truth. Right. And the, and the you know, if there's a, a man in the picture. Sure. Yeah, totally. Exactly. And that's the, you know, when you look at statistics of how many women change their mind with ultrasounds, you know, it depends on where, you know, what side of the argument is, whatever numbers they give you. It's, um, it's, it's a little bit hard to determine what the percentage is as I kind of looked it up. But at the end of the day, I mean, the pro-choice community was at one point saying uh, safe, rare, and legal. That was the the Mm -hmm. mantra of abortion, right? Safe, rare, and legal. But now that seems to have changed from like, hey, uh, now it's essentially shout your abortion, right? It's it's almost like a virtue of saying, yeah, I had an abortion and my life is great now because I had the abortion. And and it's not yeah, don't and, let people scare you with right. with these stories exactly and my career would have ended wouldn't have been anything where it is now if i had that child and really it, what it is is we just simply would like people to maybe from the perspective say give the person teenagers you know young people you know whoever they are give them all the information about yes that's a you know show them the ultrasound show them what life is what the stages are what the you know and approach it maybe from hey this is a this is a, a real thing as opposed to let's maybe try to hide them, hide the law. Even if you look at some of the videos, they say that's where the that's where the ceasing ends, and the woman's like ceasing. Yes, the the that's when we kill. That's when the death happens. Oh the my fetus, right? So they they even they use to change the word. Yeah, they change the word to soften what is actually happening, so that the yeah. woman isn't distressed. Yeah, so she's okay. Yeah. Right. Um, so it's a it's a bit problematic, but that's as you say, advocate for the truth in everything and say, look, what? Let's just be truthful about what it is and what's happening, and and then um, even if it is you know, the process of continuing with the abortion, but at least there's a the starting point of truth. Yeah, like yeah, you said. Yeah, exactly. And then secondly, uh, in terms of a Christian protesting abortion or or I think resisting abortion, right, I would I would certainly advise or I think, you know, it's transformational to live and advocate for a pro life plus life. Mm-hmm. Right. That's different from pro life. Yep. Pro life is a static, stationary, uh, passive opinion or position pro-life plus says i am for protecting the baby right the life of that baby right plus more yeah plus expressing practical love compassion and care to these scared oftentimes trapped suffering mothers yep. supporting causes and agencies and nonprofits that support unplanned or unwanted pregnancies uh, um, advocating and supporting and and and, and financially supporting and volunteering time and effort at adoption and foster care agencies. 
uh, rejecting capital punishment, right? If yeah. you're pro-life plus, you're saying, I am for life, no matter how it was conceived, and right. whether or not a jury found that life guilty of a crime. Right. In yeah. other words, I, I'm not sure there's a lot of credible consistency that comes out of the Christian community who says, I'm pro-life unless a jury has found that life guilty of a crime. Right. Then I'm pro capital punishment right yep. i don't understand that i don't understand the consistency of saying life is sacred unless that life has um committed a crime right yeah. and then of course someone would push back on me and say well what they have done is they're they're guilty of a crime right. and i would say to them are they right how many crimes now we're yeah, discovering yeah. Under, yeah. with dna evidence that they were not yeah. guilty they were framed by other corrupt people Yep. Or um, they're wrong place, wrong time with an eyewitness. By the way, an eyewitness will put you in jail forever yep. if they just yep. say it like they mean it. Ironically, my my older brother's a prosecutor, so he mm. spent a lot of time doing jury trials, and you know he's he doesn't not believe that the system works, but he he recognizes that when you have a jury trial, it is it is about the evidence, but it's also about the you're talking to human beings, yeah. right? And they are, they're not, they're not robots. They're not immutable. They, 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 they just, they ha can be swayed in the way you, you, you frame things and, ev and evidence is presented. Yep. And so the idea that, oh yeah, the jury convicted them. So yeah, we should, we should kill them is right. a, probably a, not a very good place to start. It's not a very pro-life position. <laughs> no, exactly. Take. So my, so my, my, so when someone says they're pro-life, I just think it's so vital for all of us to say as we're salting the earth, we're pro-life plus. Right. The life of the child, the unborn child, that has come into existence at conception. But we're so much more than that. We're plus rejecting uh, racism, mm -hmm. rejecting um, all any and all kinds of bigotry, supremacy, euthanasia even. I mean, that's such a complicated topic, but even the idea that somehow at the end of someone's life that that life, the quality is so low or that stage of life is so uh, lacking any real impact or productivity that that life is worth ending. Now, I'm not talking about... Um, someone making a very difficult um, living will decision sure, for right, someone. I'm not yeah. talking about that. I'm, I'm not talking about something that someone has coordinated and, 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 and planned ahead of time with their loved ones and so on. I'm talking about this idea that in our culture we can say, well, you know what? That life is not worth saving yep. at, because it's at the end stage of their life. Yep. Right? So pro-life plus would have to be, uh, would have to include that that life is sacred. Mm -hmm. Guilty lives are sacred. Mm -hmm. and unborn lives are sacred. Yeah. And so are lives that are um, different cultures, different tribes and tongues, different lives that are different skin colors. All those lives are sacred uh, to God. And, and I think it puts us all in a position then to be re repentant, every one of us. Yeah. It puts us in a position, um, uh, repent for only protesting the political policy and pro-abortion legislation and doing nothing to help yeah. the people who are in crisis. Yeah, this is a this is the part where we start saying how much we we suck at life. Well, what I do yeah. here is I just start to talk louder, yeah. and then I can avoid feeling yeah. like it's like I'm talking to myself. Yeah. But all of us in a pro-life position on this topic in protesting abortion, repentance would be for all of us mm -hmm. because I'm all I'm doing is protesting the political policies and the pro-abortion legislation. But I, I'm really not doing anything to yeah. advance pro-life or to protect life yeah. of that unborn child, right? Or any of these other lives uh, who are in crisis. And um, it's I a, think that's a, vital. It's a, 
you know, I have this conversation with my wife who some on occasion we know some people who are, you know, pregnant in an unwanted pregnancy. Mm-hmm. And I always. I mean, unplanned talk, or unwanted? Sorry, unplanned or unwanted, really, okay. in some instances. But the question is, okay, well, if we really believe that that is a little human being, it's like I, we have the conversation. With, are we willing to tell that person that we know that, hey, you know, we'll we'll adopt your we'll kid? Adopt, yeah. yeah. It's like, you know, that's, are, that's, are we willing to rearrange our entire yeah. lives for a human being that will live? I mean, a lot of us, we just say, yeah, it's pro-life. Give it up for adoption, but not to me. Give it that someone yeah. else can pay yeah. for it. And yeah. Make it. Yeah. Or, or, um, or coming really hard at that friend and yeah. saying you cannot you can't terminate that yeah. pregnancy, right? Now, what you do with that child, I have no idea. Yeah. I don't care, yep. but I'm pro-life. Mm-hmm. You have to have that child. And what I'm advocating is pro-life plus is I repent that I just said, uh, that I just protest the policy yep. or that I use these lines, right? Or I use these arguments, but really pro-life plus is I'm going to do something to really protect that life. And it is, it's so hard to do. Yeah. Like you think of fostering. Totally. You think of, I mean. It's Even a, adoption, just a, adopt, just a yeah. plain old adoption, yeah. costly in time yeah. and money. Yeah. And we, knew, we know people who they asked to adopt the sickest, most, you yep. know, most, I mean, the least desirable child that would yeah. want to be adopted and say, we're going to, we're going to take that yep. and we're going to love this human being. They're going to be a part of our family. And yes, that's, we do. they have filled up a 12 passenger vehicle with yeah. those kids. It's, you know, yeah, there are, yeah, I suck at life. Is that where we're I'm so, at? Where we <laughs> repent, man. Yeah. Repent. We should be repenting. And, uh, but that's that's a good finish and a good start and a good middle for all real believers who are looking to transform the culture with a gospel-centered worldview. We should be in collective repentance. Yeah. It's not a political issue. Yeah, that's right. We start by saying we don't view this as a political issue. It's really a moral, biblical is- issue. And um, we hope that that's food for thought for you. Um now, it uh, turns out that the episodes we're doing now are just getting longer and longer. So if you're still here, we're going to talk a little bit about the my man who doesn't need to worry about kids is the robot, Mark Zuckerberg. Oh, he is Android-like all yes, of a sudden. He certainly appears to be an Android. If if you don't know what we're talking about, Google search um, you know, Mark Zuckerberg metaverse because Facebook just changed its parent company name to Meta. And he made this whole presentation that the metaverse uh, is coming and it will be a digital world where you can essentially do whatever you want. I don't know if that's the way they shaped it, but that's usually the way it shows up in movies and stuff like that. So when it shows up in movies, are we thinking in in movies like Ready Player One? Yeah, I think the Oasis is what they Uh, call it in Ready Player One. You can go in and you're like an avatar and you can do it's like. It's if you're a gamer, it's like it's like being in a just in a gigantic video wow. game, and you're you're seeing people, and you're chatting with them, and you're you know playing like going and shooting stuff, and winning prizes, and upgrading, and all sorts of stuff. Oh yeah. man! So the question is, as you contemplate the emergence of the metaverse, and this is something that you and I may not have to worry about, but I do think about it for my kids. Um, <laughs> would you rather? spend more time in the metaverse or more time if the metaverse is fully functional and what everyone kind of thinks it will become or in real life even if this is so easy Yon, even if the metaverse is that oasis even i can't even conceive or fathom a metaverse 
that is attractive enough to leave the real universe and and live in any significant spend any significant time in the metaverse but what if you could what am experience I what am I missing? the real world like for example let's say the metaverse is cowboys like, winning the super Bowl. no like you could go like walk around paris or london or you could go to the you could go to sub-saharan africa and experience it without actually experiencing it no yeah no i'm out i'm out because i can't get over the prevailing conviction that the way God created it is even better, even even as it's fallen, right? Even as the earth is now um, kind of crawling with uh, the labor pains of of um, agony and you know uh, pain and suffering. I think uh, I think I prefer that reality to some fantasy experience. Yeah, I'm a yeah, I'm a. I know you're kind of a fantasy sci-fi. No, I, I am, but I also don't have any interest in being in the metaverse and having my... I just have this very cynical view of having my brain pumped with whatever <laughs> they want me to, to think. I, I, I just find it hard to believe that I'd go in there and have a maintain some sort of yeah. objective you know, perception of right. whatever's happening. So, yeah, I think it'd be interesting. I think it would be very easy to get sucked into the metaverse, and I think it is very easy for a lot of people specifically people who may not have a lot of sense of purpose and meaning in their job, their vocation, their life. And they say, I can go experience stuff I'll never be able to experience in my entire life. And again, gaming is obviously a huge thing. Um, There's the relational component where people, that's where they connect. Um, And if you take that up a notch, I mean, it's hard to say that, you know, people are less and less interacting in person, more and more interacting digitally. So, Right. I um, wonder if my response is condescending to people who are living vicariously in and through these digital experiences. I bet, I bet it was. Yeah, I mean. I bet it was. You've offended all of our Grump, listeners Grumpy now. old man over here. It's old Grandpa Dan over here <laughs> poo-pooing the metaverse. I just want my fingers in the water and the dirt and under the sun, you know. Yeah. I have decided I want to kind of buy a farm, and that's where I want to like live. See? I so never weird. wanted to before, but I'm like, I just want to experience there nature. I don't know how to do anything on a farm, but you know the you metaverse will teach me. You just start by buying a chicken, mm, a meat chicken. I, I found oh, I recently found out no. there's a difference between meat chickens. And anyways, oh. topic for another day. But um, thanks for listening for all of your metaverse needs, your farming needs, and more importantly for your biblical perspective on abortion. Go ahead, like us, share us, tell your pals about us, and uh, we will catch you next time. Thanks so much for checking out the Salted Podcast. You can find other episodes and topics on SoundCloud, Spotify, and Apple Podcast. Make sure you click follow so you'll get notifications whenever new episodes come out. Thanks for listening.